Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Want to just introduce where we're going this morning. Uh, we are in a series that we've entitled Dear Church. We are um, in part eight of it. We're in chapter eight. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over there with me. Um, you, can, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter eight. And as you do, just a, just a couple, couple reminders. Um, really, I, I want to just uh, recognize people that, uh, that watch online, that, that even listen online. I want to just thank you for, for doing that and uh, encourage you, even if you're here or if you're online, um, some, one of the main ministries that we have as a church is just our online reach to this valley. And so if you would not mind Popping open your phone, you'd never hear people say this in church, but pop open your phone, jump on our live stream, share it with people, because we've found that actually most people that start attending Valley Church actually attend for the first time online. And uh, man, our, our goal is that people would, would hear the gospel and be changed. And just like, just like the missionaries, Dylan and Sarah are ministering in the UK um, by standing up on a box. That's kind of the way that we do it around here. Um, we stand up on a box on social media and we say, Jesus is Lord. And, um, and so you can be part of that and appreciate any ways that, that uh, you, you share, um, share the ministry of Valley Church with, with your friends and neighbors. Um, but I also just, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're watching online, I want to thank you for joining us online. We actually uh, uh, we talked to someone yesterday. They said they want to be part of the church because of just watching online every single week, and now they want to start, start coming, and they want to be baptized, and they want to dedicate their children, and uh, that's all because of uh, just the ways that, that, you know, we live in this digital culture right now. We go from analog to digital, and, and it's a wonderful thing, so um, appreciate you helping us in that way. Um, I also want to let you know that um, some exciting things are happening here in the church in these next few weeks. As you can see, painting is continuing to happen. Um, and you guys were part of that, just raising funds to have our Valley Kids area and the sanctuary renovated. And uh, the chairs are on their way. Um, pews are going to be coming out on March the 3rd, okay? And so it's going to be all hands on deck, as you can see from the bulletin. Um, if, if you would like to stay after church on March 3rd, that's in a couple weeks. Um, bring some tools along. We're going to unbolt the pews. And uh, we actually have all of them spoken for unless one of you still wants one, okay? We have, we have someone that would like to take the rest of them if nobody, nobody else wanted any more. And so that's a blessing, praise God, um, that uh, we don't have to store them anywhere. They're going to be used for something good. And uh, anyway, um, but uh, please let us know if you do need, if you are still interested in grabbing a pew. But you'll, you'll be taking, if you wanted one, take it on March 3rd or 4th. So, um, and we'd appreciate all the help we can get because uh, that is moving forward. So, um, anyway, let's pray um, as we as we get into God's word, though, um, and uh, and then um, and then we're going to jump into chapter eight. Okay, Father, you brought us your word here in chapter eight of First Corinthians. God, would you teach us through it? Would you show us just how applicable this is to our lives, Lord? And as as we uh, just just work together as a community to follow you, Jesus. Would you just use your word right now to teach us and mold us into your image? In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, chapter 8, verse 1. Let's read it together. It says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. And this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And so as we jump into this passage, I I recognize that, first of all, this is a topic that we don't deal with today, okay? But what I, what I hope that you, you, you see as we discuss this, as we read through it, is how applicable the principles are that we're going to talk about. No. Do we sacrifice to idols today? No. Do we eat, mood, eat meat sacrificed to idols? No. So this is something we got to understand, but Paul is going to teach us some principles that we can apply in our relationships with one another today in a way that honors God. And, uh, and, and he's going to teach about the priority of love today between, between followers of Jesus. And so, after dealing with questions on marriage and singleness that we looked at last week in chapter 7, he moves on to this question regarding eating meat sacrificed to idols, okay? And here's the deal. Back in their culture during that day, we know that it was very polytheistic, okay? They worshiped many gods. And so what they did is that, that people, worshipers, they would come to the temple of their God and they would bring offerings to their God. And uh, these offerings would, would be used in a few different ways. First of all, one, one third of the offering would be burnt to honor that God. It would be sacrificed and laid on an altar and burned. Then the second portion, one third of it, then would be given to the worshiper to take home and consume himself. Okay? But then another third of that, that portion of the offering would then be given to the priest. And the priest could either use it for his, his food. Um, they, they, were, they had to be paid in some way, and so they got paid with food. Um, or if they had plenty, they could sell it. And what they had back then is they had temple restaurants or um, meat markets back then. And as you can imagine, the meat that was being sold from a temple was usually cheaper than meat that was sold in the market. And so if you think about the Christians in that time, a lot of them were not wealthy. We know that. And so they dealt with this issue. Do we buy the meat that is cheaper? You know, Christians like a good deal. Okay, I think we know that. Okay. Um, Or do we go to the market and pay a lot more for meat that hadn't been sacrificed to to an idol? And so they they were running into this dilemma, and it raised a lot of questions for the Corinthian Christians. Should we purchase this meat? Can we or should we eat of this kind of meat? Um, What should we do if we come to someone's house and we find out after we sit down and we pray over the meal that they are serving us this kind of meat? Um, Is it wrong? Is it right, Paul? And it seemed like they had made up their mind already, But Paul is going to teach them some principles, okay? And so you'll notice Paul writes first not to answer that question directly, but first to point them to the priority of love. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1, he says, We all know, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And though this knowledge puffs up, okay? This knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. 
Now, what did he mean by we all possess, all of us possess knowledge? I think genuinely that most of the Corinthian Christians were unified in the fact that they believed that there is one God, and that's the Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, the, the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus his Son coming down to earth, sacrificing himself for us. You know, they, they believed that there is one God, and they were unified in that, okay? They also believed that any idol was a false god. And so, um, basically, when they looked at the temples to different gods, they would say, well, that's, that's a nothing god. That's no big deal. And so they were unified mostly in the fact that they could just eat of this meat that was being offered to another god and be like, that's really nothing. It's no big deal. <laughs> it doesn't make a difference, okay? But what Paul is, is going to teach them is this. Both knowledge and love have an effect on you. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, leads to pride, leads to arrogance. So watch out for that. Be careful from that. But love, it builds us up. Okay, and he explains this in verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. And so this is a call to humility. Christians should be the most humble people that you know. In verse 3, he goes on, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, I, was, I was reading, I don't know if um, you downloaded the first 15 devotional this week. I've been encouraging that just in this, in this season of Lent. And I think it was on Monday or Tuesday we were reading. It was interesting how they did their devotional on one of the verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And in it, they just explain some of verse 3 for us. I wanted to share a quote from that devotional. They, they said this, and I found it really encouraging. They said, you don't have to go through life on your own. You don't have to process decisions and pains and relationships or doubt on your own. You can be known by your Creator and know Him. And so what, what's, what's the point that, that Paul is telling these people is, is, yeah, God wants you to know him, but he also wants to know you. And the Christian life is, is, a, is a life of intimacy with God, that he sees all of you. And in knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that he is for you, he's not against you, that he sent his son to, to die for you, you know that you can approach him and receive grace and mercy and peace. And so all the areas of shame in your life that, that you'd be tempted just to close off and wall off to God, God says, I want to know you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to have this intimate friendship with you. And that's, that's what Paul is saying. That, that's love. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. He is known by God. And then he explains this, this in relation to the question offered to idols. Verse 4. Keep on going. Therefore, he says, as to the eating of food offered to idols. Let's get to the point. We know that an idol has no real existence. Okay, you notice that's in quotations. And that there is no God but one. Okay, so he's probably quoting their letter. He's like, yeah, you wrote to me and you, you said the right thing. Okay, these are nothing gods, okay? 
They're not competing gods, okay? You know, and so, so meat offered to, to Zeus on an altar is, is there's, there's no real Zeus. Okay, that's, that's a myth, okay? Um, meat offered to Diana, there's no real Diana. Meat offered to Aphrodite in, in her temple, there's no real Aphrodite. Okay, so, so we can't agree on this. And he goes on in verse 5, he said, For although there may be so-called gods, little g, in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, little g, and many lords, little l, let, yet for us there is one God and Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. One Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. You know, the, the religious culture, as I said, was, was very polytheistic. Okay? The ancient world had many different gods. Even today, there are really only three major world religions that we could truly say are monotheistic, that, that believe that there is only one God, okay? And that, that's, that's, uh, that's Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, okay? And, and you know, th- these, are, these are religions that would say there is one God and they reject all other false gods. They reject all other gods. What Paul is saying is, is you're right in this. There is no God, but one. He's the only one of these so-called gods. Okay, and I want you, want you to think about this in our culture today. A lot of, a lot of you may, may have seen those bumper stickers coexist on the back of, of cars, okay? And, and I believe most people that, that, you know, put them on their cars or, you know, tattoo them on their arms or whatever, they generally want to see just unity in the world. And that's not a bad thing. We don't want to see religions fighting against one another, but what I, what I often hear come out of people's mouths also is, is they say, well, many paths lead to God. You know, we, we all, you know, worship the same God. We just get to him in different ways. You, you've probably heard that, right? And what Paul is saying and what, what I just want to challenge you with, if, if that's something that you would say as well and maybe not even think about, is that there is one God. And there is one way to, to God, one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so other religions that worship other gods, and you may say, oh, they call them by a different name. No, that's, that's false. That's a false god. That is not the true god. I want to challenge your thinking on that. If, if that's, that's where you're at, read the Bible because Jesus is exclusive. There is one way, and the way is narrow that leads to life. The way is broad that leads to destruction. We don't all worship the same God. Okay? But, but uh, as, as, as Paul goes on, what, what I want you to also recognize is that on his missionary journeys, he actually was in Athens before he came to Corinth. And uh, there in Athens, I want to just, just read you a portion of this. This is in Acts chapter 17, where he noticed that they, in their polytheistic culture, wanting to please all these different gods, wanting to, wanting to be right with God, he noticed something in their culture. And I want to read it for you, okay? This is Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. He said, said, Now while Paul was 
waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. And he saw that the city was full of idols. Just like he probably noticed in Corinth as well later on. Skip to verse 22. And so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along to, and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made, sorry, lost my place, um, made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yes, he is actually not far from each one of us. What an encouraging word. Instead of coming down hard on this culture and saying, man, you're all worshiping these false gods. You know, you need to repent and turn to the true God. What he's saying is, man, I, I believe, you know, you have a heart that is seeking God. Let me tell you about this unknown God that you seek. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And basically, he's repeating that kind of teaching here in the book of 1 Corinthians, what he, what he taught in Athens, okay? And the difference that he makes is clear. Our God, he is the source of all things. And then in verse 6, we'll just, just kind of read through that again. Yet for us, he said, there is one God, the Father, and notice these key words, from whom are all things, for whom we exist, one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Now, some of you, you may be asking, what's my purpose in life? Can I encourage you? Bring that, bring that verse up again. Because, man, that is where it's at. You are created by God, for God. Everything is from him. Everything is through him. Everything is for him. And if you want to find purpose in this life, it comes with dying to yourself and submitting to this God. And in dying, you find true living. That may sound backwards, but that's what, true, that's what it truly means to follow Jesus, that you're dying to yourself in order that you might follow him as Savior and as Lord. Some people only, realize, only think that it's about following him as Savior. Oh, I'm going to come to church, I'm going to get baptized, and I'm going to be good with God. But you fail to realize that he calls you to follow him as Lord. Everything is from him and through him, for him. And when you align your life to that, that that's, that's the call of the kingdom of God. And that's the call that Paul is saying, this is, this is what we're doing here. 
We're not just lip service. Oh, I believe there's a God. You know, I believe he's he's, he's the creator. You know, um, no, this is a this is a giving all you are to Him, coming under His authority, being His apprentice, following after Him. Okay. The other thing that I notice is is also from verse six. I kind of get this image that people were coming and bringing sacrifices to the temple of their God, thinking that their God needed something. You know, they would bring food. Oh, he needs, he needs food. We need to feed him. Or they would bring blankets. Oh, he, he, needs, he needs to, you know, to keep warm, you know. Um, and what, what you see from this is, is this is completely opposite of what, what that culture was doing in bringing their sacrifices to their God. Paul is saying God doesn't need anything because everything is from him. And, and so, so get that right. He doesn't, he doesn't need anything from you. But he wants you. And that's a beautiful thing to understand. God wants you. Anyone who loves God is known by God. God loves you. He wants you. That's why he sent his son Jesus for you. That's a beautiful understanding to have. Because everything is from him, through him, and for him. Okay? So I believe... The Corinthians, they, they kind of had this foundation. They all believe this. I believe, you know, generally we believe this. And if you don't, this is what following Jesus, this is what Christianity is all about. Um, and so, so they were unified in this for the most part. And so I can think their reasoning, you know, when they came to Paul was, okay, we got these temples now in our city. You know, some of us used to worship at them. We came to understand that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And, and so we've, we've stopped doing that. And we realize that these are just nothing gods. So it's no big deal to eat meat from these, these that was offered on these altars. We're going to get a good deal. We're going to, you know, eat this kind of meat and, you know, call it a day. And anybody that disagrees, they're wrong. Paul says, hold on. Wait a second. Even though you're right, is that the most loving thing you can do? He's going to talk about the priority of love here. And I, I want, to, want to share this in verse 7. And he keeps on talking about it through the end of the chapter and what that means. And this is where we see some principles that actually we're going to apply into our own community about how we relate to each other. Okay, So verse 7, he says, however, however, and that's a key word. He's like, hold up. Don't go so far, okay? Here's something to think about. Not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association, former association being they worship these gods, they bowed down, they brought sacrifices to them, they, they truly believed that these were real gods, these idols, through former association with idols, they eat food as really offered to an idol. And their consciences, being weak, is defiled. So essentially he's saying, Corinthians, even though you are free to eat from these nothing God idols, you know, you know that, that you have the correct knowledge, you have the freedom to do that, I want you to understand if there is someone with you that still is having a hard time getting there, that still feels in their conscience that, that it is wrong for them to eat from, from that altar, from, from, of the meat that was sacrificed to an idol, then it is wrong for them. And it's wrong for you to coerce them into doing that. Read verse 8. 
He said, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. In other words, you are not more spiritual if you know that idols are nothing and feel a personal freedom to eat meat sacrificed to idols. On the other hand, you are not less spiritual by abstaining from it, abstaining from this meat that was sacrificed to idols. And this is, this is where we as Christians often, we stumble, we get things wrong, or we, we are way too assertive in the things that maybe we have opinions on, okay? And um, this is where I want to just talk to you about Christian liberty, and this is, this is really the conversation that comes up at this point, okay? Let's, let's just be honest. There is a variety of interpretations of what is right or wrong to do because of maybe the lack of clarity in, in parts of Scripture on certain, certain subjects, okay? So take, for instance, this. Um, there's, there's a, there, there are some Christian communities that uh, if, if they see you smoking, they think you are going to be smoking in hell. Seriously, okay? Maybe you've been a part of one, but that is just, there are some communities like that. Is our community like that? No, okay? Okay, you know, if I see you smoking, it's not a big deal. You know, do I think it's healthy? No, you probably want to quit too, okay? But, but seriously, some Christian communities, they think that it's so wrong for you to smoke, okay? Is the Bible clear? Not really, okay? Uh, everything is permissible, you know, said earlier, but not everything is beneficial. That's what Paul said, okay? Um, so, so that's where it is. But, but, you know, there are some communities where you see the whole congregation, even pastor, go out after church and have a smoke, okay? That's, that's what happens. Some churches are like that. Um, here, here's another one. We'll, we'll just go right to it. Some in some communities, um, drinking alcohol is absolutely forbidden. It's like one of the worst things that you could do. You talk to people in that church, and, and they're like, man, they, they think that they're more spiritual because they've never touched a drop of alcohol in their life, okay? On the other hand, there are other, other Christian communities, churches, that are started in bars, and they have Bible study around a beer, okay? Um, I don't know of any locally, but where we lived in Michigan, there, were, there was a community like that. Was I part of it? No, I wasn't, Okay? But it's that, that extreme, okay? So you see these extremes. What is right? What's wrong? Okay, how, how, do, we, how, we, how do we discern between that? That's, that's the question, okay? Here's the other one. Um, some Christian communities, um, they show off their tattoos. While others, man, they tell you to cover them up. Don't let me see those, Okay. <laughs> I think we're, we're part of the, the former, you know, right now. Uh, we used to be part of the latter, okay, before in our church. Just to be honest, that's, that's where we're at, okay? Some Christian communities, they sing only a cappella music. While others, they play music so loud you can, your ears start bleeding, okay? <laughs> that's just how it is. What's right? What's wrong? Um, some Christian communities, they, ex they insist on just one Bible translation, Usually it's the KJV 1611. And uh, this church used to insist on that. Okay, we've come a long way. Other churches, I'll say, um, they, uh, they actually see many translations as being helpful. They use all kinds of translations. Um, and so what's right? What's wrong? How do we have unity on that? Um, for some churches, uh, you see women serving in every area of ministry. 
other churches, women are barred from being in any kind of leadership position because of an interpretation of Scripture. Um, some Christian communities don't allow dancing. Maybe you've been a part of one. I grew up basically in that. Um, others, they, you know, man, if you can dance, you're part of the worship team. <laughs> and uh, Tina, I, I don't know if I'm encouraging that or not, but um, I, I do have a question for you. Can Christians dance? Some can, some can't. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's really what your conscience or your dignity will allow. <laughs> but as you can see, um, Christians get messed up on these things, don't they? And they even divide over these things, divide, divide between denominations and churches over these things. And um, they assume that one stance is more spiritual than another stance. Is that right or is that wrong? Think about that. Um, they argue, I'm right. My conscience is telling me this is wrong and this is right. And they'll argue over another brother that their conscience is saying that's wrong and this is right. And what do we do in those cases? Because this, this is exactly what Paul is talking about. How do we discern what to do as a Christian community when there are disagreements among you in relation to, in, in relation to our conscience, what our conscience is telling us is right or wrong? Now, here's what Paul is going to begin to explain, okay? So I hope you're seeing, if you haven't bought into this message yet, this, this is where the rubber meets the road, okay? Because we're going to learn some principles. How do we stay in unity as brothers and sisters when there are disagreements among us? Verse 9, take care, he says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in the idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So Paul says, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Okay, so you think about this scenario. You know, all these, all these Christians lived in the city of Corinth, okay? And there, there was this, this temple market, you know, where people came to, to buy, buy meat and offer sacrifices. And, and uh, so, so here's, here's a, a weaker brother that, that thinks has a strong conviction that eating meat sacrifice that has been sacrificed to an idol that is completely wrong to eat of. And he's walking by, by the temple, temple market, and he sees pastor jonathan sitting down and having a nice steak okay and he's like pastor jonathan's doing that oh you know maybe maybe it's not that bad maybe i should do it too and so he goes and he sits down and 
against his own better judgment, or against his own judgment, he sits down and, and partakes of it. He eats of it, but he feels this conviction like, I just, I just did something wrong. I went against what my conscience was telling me. And he feels guilty over this, okay? Because formerly in his life, he worshipped at that same temple. He he'd brought sacrifices. He he'd brought this, brought this meat and, and offered it to this God. And he still had not gotten over the fact that these are nothing gods. And so what this passage is saying right here is, is it's wrong for you to, by your example, coerce, basically, by, by example, coerce another brother who, who has a strong conviction against, against this, to coerce him into thinking, oh, just ignore it. Just ignore that. Just do it. You know, you know we're right and you're wrong, so just, just go against your conscience. He said, what you're doing is you're causing them to sear their conscience, to not pay attention to their conscience. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for those who are weak. That's his point, okay? And so, to influence your brother to go against his conscience and thereby wound their weak conscience is to actually sin against Christ. And that's why Paul said that we need to make sure when we are in a community that we are not just considering what is right for me, but we are considering what is right toward my brothers and sisters in Christ. How can I act in a way that's going to bring unity to the church and not, not create a stumbling block for others? Now, I may feel this way about something, but that doesn't mean that others don't have that same knowledge, that same freedom to do it. And so let's act in a way that, that, that moves toward unity. Okay, here's, here's some principles that I have um, that, that I want to just give you as, as we close this thing out. Um, and if you want to write them down, you can. Um, but uh, the, the first principle I believe Paul is, is, is teaching from this passage is this, that we need to choose not to go out of our way to offend others to prove that we have our own freedom. I'll read that again. Choose not to go out of your way to offend others to prove that you have your own freedom freedom. Maybe a good question to ask is this, even though I have the liberty to do this, will it encourage? Will it build up the community? Or will it divide it and potentially cause others to stumble? Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 says, let each one look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, um, you know, I'm a little hesitant to get into specifics about this because there are so many specifics. You know, I, t- I talked about each of these areas where Christians kind of, you know, depending on the community that, th- that they're in, they may, they may be like for tattoos or against tattoos or, you know, okay with smoking or okay with drinking or, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on, okay? But what I believe that this is a call is to just be situationally aware with one another, especially when we're gathered corporately as, as a church, okay? And there, there's, there's a reason why we don't, you know, say when we gather as a church, like partake of alcohol together. Why? Because 
we, we run the whole gamut, okay? Some of us, we have, have family members that have abused alcohol. Some of you have abused alcohol yourselves, and, and you're recovering, and, and you're like, I don't need that around me that's harmful. It's dangerous to me, okay? And so we're asking the question, what, what builds up? What's loving, okay? Well, how, can we, how can we promote the unity of the church? Well, we say, for the purpose of unity, we abstain. Okay? Does that mean that we force you to abstain in your own home or in your own friend networks? No, not at all. But man, when you're gathered as a church, as the church, like we keep that out of it. Okay, so it's, so it's, a, it's a being situationally aware how, how we respond to that, okay? Um, that's just one example. We could go on and on, okay? But, but I wanted to give you the second one, okay? So we're choosing not to go out of our way to offend others, to prove that we have our own freedom, okay? The, the second one is this, that we choose not to be offended by what others do. That's no secret. We live in the age of outrage, and it's easily to be offended by what others do. But let me challenge you with this in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll study this in a few weeks, says, love is patient, and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Maybe a good question to ask yourself when encountering a difference of opinions or conviction is, is just asking, um, how can I act toward this person in a way that is loving and understanding? And, and what I found helpful when people disagree with me or when I find that I disagree with them is instead of just being offended and writing them off, just to have this mindset, you know what? They believe this for a reason, just like I believe that for a reason. And so it would be better for us to enter into a conversation about this, to try and understand one another, and maybe, hopefully, you know, maybe God will change their mind, than for me to just be offended and write them off and divide over it. And uh, just showing some humility and grace in those situations is, is so key, so important. Yes, there are concrete, absolute doctrinal things that, that don't move in Scripture. But there are some areas where we just, you know, there's Christian liberty in. And, um, and so, so we want to treat one another with, with truth and grace and handle situ situations like this in a way that um, doesn't, doesn't alienate people and is not um, unloving or unhelpful, okay? So, number two, choose not to be easily offended by what others do. And number three is this, choose to discern, and this is something that's missed often, choose to discern between the weaker brother and the legalistic brother. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Did you notice that the brother who would not eat meat sacrificed to idol was called the weaker brother? Now, most of the time, we would consider the person that would say, I'm not doing that, I can't do that, I'm convicted about that, I'm not, not doing that. 
we would call him the stronger brother, okay? But Paul's not talking about weak or strong in regards to self-control. He's talking about weak or strong in regards to knowledge. Knowledge. And that's, that's the key that I want you to think about. Why did these people feel a conviction that they could not eat from the temple? This meat that had been sacrificed to idols because of a knowledge issue. They weren't convinced in, in, in their mind that there is only one true God, and this is, these are just nothing gods. It really means nothing because these are nothing gods. It's a knowledge issue. It's not a self-control issue. Paul makes it clear, it's wrong to sear people's conscience by causing them to stumble. And at the same time, judgment is needed to discern whether this is coming from a legalistic spirit within them. Okay, so take for example, I'll just take this, tattoos. Okay? Someone comes up to you and is like, brother, your tattoos are causing me to stumble. Now, a good, good way to question whether this is coming from a spirit of legalism or a spirit of being from a, from a weaker brother is to ask, well, are you tempted to get one? And if they say, well, no, like, then that's an issue of legalism, not an issue of being the weaker brother. Now, the weaker brother may not have the knowledge that, okay, we're free in Christ. This is a Christian liberty issue. Um, that's just an example, okay? Um, the same, same way with, when it comes to um, alcohol. You may be in a gathering, you know, with people that, that uh, you know, consume alcohol together and don't abuse it, obviously. Okay, we're talking about that. But there may be someone that, that's like, man, um, you know, I, I'm offended to see that you were drinking at that, at that wedding. And you can ask them and be like, well, were you, were you tempted to drink? Be like, no, no, I, I don't touch this stuff. I hate it. Okay, that's, that's not a weaker brother. That may be a legalistic brother or someone that's just like, you know, I've just made that personal decision for myself. But man, I'll tell you, if it's a weaker brother, you should be sensitive to him and say, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to cause, cause you to stumble because of, you know, your convictions in that area. I'm not going gonna, 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 gonna to do that. If, if, that, if that really offended you, then, you know, I'm going to be sensitive to that, okay? You're getting the understanding, okay? Discern between the weaker brother and the legalistic brother. And yes, this causes for, this calls for a lot of discernment. It's not always clear. And so that's why in, in communities like this, we choose to err on the side of we're going to be more cautious about things rather than just throwing everything to the wind and having liberty about things, okay? So, um... Often, some things come down to legalism, tradition, opinion, and preference. And if that's the case, here's, here's one thing you can do. Just help people think biblically about it. And you're not trying to change your mind. Let God change your mind about it. Okay? Um, the question is, am I causing a brother to stumble or sin, or am I offending their legalism? Paul, he didn't mind offending people's legalism. Jesus actually deliberately sought ways to do it. And so, Jesus calls you to show love to one another. To lay down your rights for the sake of loving others. Two questions I want to leave you with. How can I best love those around me? How can I best show love to those around me? And how can I help them on their journey with God? 
in everything, I believe Jesus is our example because he didn't insist on his own way. He actually laid down his life for us. I want to just close by reading Philippians chapter 2. And this is a passage that just talks about the humility of Christ in him coming down for us. He said this, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted upon him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, he possessed all authority, but he chose humility. And so as we live out God's way in community, Let's just let Jesus be our example. You can never go wrong with that, okay? When there are sticky situations, err on the side of grace. Err on the side of, you know, laying down your rights on behalf that that other person might, might not feel guilty, that you're not putting a stumbling block in front of them. Also that we might be built up in love. Let's pray together and um, let's just, as we pray, just uh, maybe just ask God right now in this moment of silence, God, what are you saying to me? And what area of my life needs to change? I'll give you a moment just to seek God right now as, as you pray. Father, thank you for sharing not just your heart with us, but sharing your son. God, that he is who we need. He is the cornerstone of your church, and God, he's our example. So Lord, thank you for humbling yourself, becoming obedient to death, taking upon yourself our sin and our shame. And God, that we might be your sons and your daughters. Lord, help us to live with unity and peace with one another. God, that when there is conflict or disagreements, God, that we would err on the side of grace and deferring to one another, Lord. But God, in everything, we just submit to you as Savior and Lord, and we pray that we would love as you have loved us. 
asking, God, that you would know us inside and out, every part of us, God. God, bless this church. Bless each one as they go from here. God, um, as they, they go and be the church in their workplaces, in their families, in their community, God, help them to just have the mind of Christ in, in the situations that you bring them into, God. And God, with those that are hurting and uh, just, just going through pain or addiction or, or hardship, God, would you minister to them and would you surround them with your body this week that we might minister to them and show them your grace. We love you, God, and we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.